You're listening to Satellite Sisters. What's a Satellite Sister? The person you call when the best thing in your life happens or the worst. The person that gets you up, gets you going, and gets you through. And every once in a while, changes your mind. This podcast is part pep talk, part weekly check-in. Like grabbing coffee with a friend. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the Satellite Sisterhood. You're listening to Satellite Sisters. I'm Leanne Dolan here in Pasadena, California. I'm a writer and producer, and I am excited for the first of our special August Satellite Sisters shows. How about you, Liz? Woohoo! On the road to Rio, sisters. This is Liz Dolan. I'm in Bend, Oregon. Very excited to be with you guys. And we had a lot of fun putting together this show to get us all in the Olympic spirit. Hey, and I'm Julie Dolan. I live in Dallas, Texas. I'm an empty nester, an urban nana, and I love to time travel. So I am looking forward to this episode. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. This is the first of our special August shows. We picked a theme for each show to help us organize some of the segments that we brought you. And this one is our Olympic theme. Of course, there are no Olympics this year, and that's just terrible for everybody. Particularly the athletes. Well, let's not be too sad. Let's not be too sad. we got to stay upbeat, Leanne. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, Joel. All right. But we thought, well, we've been to a few Olympic Games, and we have some things to say about the Olympics, so we'll put together our own Olympic segment. So, Liz, the first segment you're, you're going to listen to is uh, one that you brought to the show. Yeah, so four years ago, Leanne, remember? We went to Rio. Yeah. <laughs> it was... It was you, me, your husband, and your two sons, and we just had a bang-up time. So this is some highlights from that episode, and it's about our nights at the track, at the pool, and all around beautiful Rio. And you can listen to the whole episode if you want to hear about other things like beach volleyball, boxing, cycling, and we have put in a lot of information about sandwiches and beer, right? So this was... You seem to do a lot of beer drinking and sandwich eating. Yes. Yes, we did. It was it was an highlight, Julie. Yes, we did. So so that's the first half of the show, Lee. And, and in the second half? And in the second half, I am pleased to bring a new interview uh, to this show with Elise Hooper. Elise wrote a book that's on our best beach bag books list called Fast Girls. It's historical fiction, and it's about three women athletes that ran in the 1936 Olympics in Berlin. And that particular Olympic Games, you know, that was the one hosted by Hitler. I don't even know what the Americans were doing there. It was a very shaky, sketchy deal that we were even there. And it was the one that's best remembered for Jesse Owens winning all the medals and sort of, you know, putting a dagger into Hitler's heart there. But there were three American track athletes there and and women's track and field was relatively new. So Elise follows these three track athletes for about 10 years before they land in Berlin. And it's just a fascinating story because she can really humanize these historical figures about and some of the things that these women face are exactly what our female athletes are still facing. You know, they're facing discrimination, unequal treatment in the press. Uh, They were facing, you know, racism, anti, uh, you know, homophobia, transphobia, unequal, uh, unequal payments, unequal training facilities, you know, bad competitive times. So it's it's surprisingly contemporary. So I really enjoyed talking to Elise Hooper about what it took to put together her historical fiction fast girls so it's a full interview with her in the second half of the show 
Okay, that's going to be great. But now let's take it away. Here from our 2016 show is Liam setting up our excellent adventure to Brazil. Now we're going to Rio. Liz and mm -hmm. I went with my husband, my two sons, who were 18, 21. And Liz, I put together a little list of, um, you know, post-game interview, the keys to our success. And I, Oh, yeah. So I every, every sports broadcast needs to have keys to success. Yeah. Okay. First of all, over our eight days, uh, it takes a, like 20 hours to get there and 20 hours to come back. We were there seven days, six nights. We saw four nights of track and field, a night of swimming. We saw beach volleyball, boxing, the velodrome, and the marathon. Those were the actual events that we went to. And, and here were the keys. Uh, first of all, we kept our focus, Julie. We kept our focus. You know, we could have been distracted by, like, sightseeing or history or Christ the Redeemer. But we just stuck with sports. And that. Yes. And that's, well, you can't do everything. You can't. When you visit a country, you cannot do everything. I think that's that was that's wise. That's wise. It's a legitimate a, a strategy for going to a country is anything sports. So that's what we did. We kept our focus. All right. We dealt with adversity. Julie, we had to deal with some adversity. And by that, I mean there was very little food at the venues. <laughs> and what did we do, Liz? We changed up our whole game plan. We, right? we did. The whole new game plan, Julie. We went to like plan B by like night three. We knew that what we thought was going to work was clearly not going to work. How come the, how could they not, they just, the food did not arrive or they just didn't plan for food at the venues? Cause it seems like those were long events and people might get hungry and maybe they could sell, you know, uh, a snack or two. All, all those are true. We're going to get <laughs> all those things you just said are true. Okay. And finally, we ran our race, I would say, Liz, because no matter how many times somebody said, oh, are you going to gymnastics? We're like, no, we don't like gymnastics. We're not going. <laughs> we just went. Oh, we went to soccer, too. We just went to the sports we really like to go to. And that was it. We we added in a few at the last minute, the yeah. boxing, the velodrome. We made the commitment to go see the women's marathon, which was fantastic. But no, we didn't have we, – we had to keep our focus on the things we loved. So those were, I think, our three keys to the overall success. And I think the fourth was just a good attitude. Wouldn't you say, Liz, positivity? Yes, no you, ha you have to have a positive attitude in that environment because you know, Julie, traveling in other parts of the world where there are language difficulties and transportation challenges and maybe everything doesn't quite work the way it does at home, you, I, you can either have a good attitude or a bad attitude. But if you have a good attitude, you kind of roll with it. And no matter what came our way, we managed to roll with it. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, the positive thinking was incredibly important. Yes. So there you go. That was it. Focus, adversity, ran our race, positivity. So, <laughs> Leanne, I can see you're going to go out on a speaking tour. You just need to get yourself a little medal. I mean, because that's that is a speech that an Olympian would give. You yeah, know? they all they do. That's exactly time, what they but... say. Oh, by the we way, if you wanted a medal, Julie, we could have bought you medals. There were medals for sale in a lot of places. Really? Oh, that would be kind of fun to have one of those. <laughs> I'm kind those of that I didn't. Yeah, those no. were funny, like on the beach. I mean, for that could be for your Halloween costume for the next yeah. 20 years. Okay. Oops. Okay. I don't want you to have any regrets because it sounded like you had. <laughs> no, we left very... it all out there, Julie. We left it all okay. out there on the track. Okay. We did. We did. Um, but in general, you know, you watch the TV. Rio is a stunningly beautiful city. I mean, you just can't believe the natural beauty. It's six and a half million people. And I don't want to sound like Bob Costas, but the fact that there are beautiful beaches and the mountains and the lust foliage, 
Like every vista, even if you couldn't drink the water, it was fantastic to look at the water, you know, all of those bays and the crashing waves and all the venues inside looked absolutely beautiful. It was stunning and it just takes your breath away. And at the same time, there is just heartbreaking poverty. Like yeah. there, there's yeah. no way around it. The trip yeah. in from the airport, driving around from venue to venue, like you, it's hard to square those two things, but they're both part of the landscape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, there was one time, Julie, where Leon and I were in a long taxi ride. I will not go into the adversity we were facing, <laughs> get, get, getting around part of the marathon course that shut down half of the city, but whatever. But we're driving through this other part of town in a taxi, and you're just going down the street, and all of a sudden, there's the sheer rock cliff right in front of you. You know, those wow. mountains that you see on TV, just like your husband, the geologist, would love this place. These, okay. these, these rocks just spring up out of nowhere. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of city he likes with a lot of rocks, Liz and Liam. <laughs> All right, but here's the best thing. Like, I think everybody in Rio, the participants, the judges, everybody was cheering for two countries, their own and Brazil. You know, at every event we went to, you know, everyone's cheering for their own athlete, and then the Brazilian athletes got a huge roar from the crowds of Brazilians and then others. That was fantastic. No one wanted to see Brazil go down. I felt like everyone wanted Brazil to do well. Wouldn't you say, Liz? Yes, for sure. And, you know, the they did really well in some events, but even if they were, they had athletes that were trailing and things, people clapped as they finished the finish line or whatever. It was very exciting. I mean, of course, lots of the people in the stands were Brazilians, so you have that going for you. But I went out and bought a Brazilian flag. I realized, yeah. again, this was part of altering our game plan. I realized by about day three, I was going to need a Brazilian flag, Julie. There, that, there were going to be moments where only the Brazilian flag is going to do. So I have that now, which is good for oh, future Liz, That's great. I yeah. mean, well, you'd never want to miss any fun, Liz. That's, you know, you if you see fun, you're going for it, Liz. <laughs> we can count on you for gold medal performance in that area. I mean, I think I even as at home, you, I feel that way. I mean, that soccer match last night between Brazil and Germany, I mean, that, I, I was in tears. I was in tears at the end of that. You know, I mean, I mean, they've had, I mean, I think Brazil faces so much adversity yes, and it's yes. so great that they put on this, you know, what seems to be, have been, I mean, keep, we only have what, this is the last day. Yeah, so yeah. they have, they have done it. Right. So, um, so yes, I'm, I hope to see your flag, your Brazilian flag next time I visit you, Liz, in Los, <laughs> An- Los Angeles. Yeah. You know what? And the Brazilian athletes made the most of it. Like we were watching a heat of the 800 meters, uh, the men's 800 meter. And there was one Brazilian athlete. He clearly sussed out that he had no chance of making it. to the. <laughs> so you know what he did? He went out as fast as he could in that first 400 and the crowd was standing and cheering for him. And then like at 410 meters, he totally dropped out and he finished <laughs> by a mile, but it didn't matter because he had one glorious lap around the track where everyone was cheering for him. And you sort of saw that over and over again. It was fantastic. But speaking of flags, if you want to wear a flag, the Olympics is the place to do it. And you sort of forget that. Like, you kind of see it on TV, but when you're actually in the crowd and, like, people, many, many people are wearing flags as capes, or they actually (laughs) sell flags that have armholes or 
or hats now they like a head drape so you can wake completely wear the flag you're like oh that's a fantastic idea a flag with holes that's a great idea <laughs> why didn't we bring one from home yeah it was uh you know in flags of many nations of course so some people have to do their own sewing on site to make it work but if it's the brazilian flag you can probably buy all of those items but people brought all their own stuff from home. I mean, there weren't a lot of other country flags for sale. We brought our American flag, and I'm glad we had it. And my son immediately saw the value, Brooks, and he, he appropriated it and, you know, started wearing it around as kind of a jaunty scarf, uh, actually. <laughs> Obviously, the stars, the two big stars we saw, we saw the same bolts win the men's 100 meter, um, and then we saw Michael Phelps win the 200 IM, get his gold medal, and then go back in the pool to qualify for the, the butterfly. Two incredible performances. It's really astonishing to see athletes like that at the height of their power. I mean, people love Usain Bolt so much. Like <laughs> so, much. so much. people chanting his name. We had been at the track two nights before the men's hundred and there were a lot of knowledgeable track fans there. Track is hard to watch. There's a lot going on. You really need to pay attention and understand like how the whole system works. But the Sunday night when Usain ran, it was mainly just people there to see Usain Bolt. Like they, those people did not know what else was happening. They were paying no attention to the men's <laughs> high jump. And so, uh, so, I mean, he, and he delivered, he ran that hundred, he ran right or you know he kept running kept running and stopped right in front of our section we were sort Ooh, of directly exciting. across from the finish line on the other side of the track and that's when he finally got the flag and stopped and i mean that was just fantastic wasn't it liz goosebumps all the way around yeah you know i mean they talk about certain performers being electrifying and you think oh come on in a giant stadium can one person really walk into a stadium and light the whole place up and totally, yes, they can. And we yeah. saw it on that Sunday night with Hussein Bolt. It was it was amazing, Julie. People were just so thrilled to be there with him. And even the other athletes, you you can tell. Yes. The, the I remember after he won that race, some of the other athletes jumped out of the stands and took a selfie with him. You know, so it's just, <laughs> he was, you know, and he's a showman, but he can... When he says he's going to do it, he can really do it. So that was that was very thrilling. That was a very, very exciting night at the track. Uh, and there was another world record that night, which was just as thrilling. Right, Liam? It was. The 400 meter, the men's oh 400 meter. Yeah. The, and the we, guy who won it on the outside, right? He yeah. was in the, like, the worst possible lane to yeah. win win the win the race yeah and he had been running great all week after we because we had been there three nights we saw him run in the heats we saw him run in the semis he was a beautiful runner to watch you know it was clear my husband's a big track fan he said they're going to go under 44 tonight they're, they're ready you know they've been saving it but 4303 is the new world record and that was a moment where people oh he won and then they flashed the time up and the people in the stadium that knew understood track not just the same bolt fans that's when people stood up and just roared like yeah. there was this yeah. there was this moment of silence the number went up and as soon as like people recognized what had just happened they roared and and that was a great moment that was really thrilling and he was so overcome i don't know if they showed that on mm -hmm. tv yeah he just he he went to his family and he was just really, really overcome by that performance. And the other, you know, first, second and third all ran under 44 seconds. I mean, that was a great, a great race, a great race. Uh, and that was really a thrilling moment. <clears throat> 
But there, we have been, there have been some great moments in this Olympics, you know, for all the bad press ahead of it. I mean, there have been just so many exciting, like, you know, thrilling moments for even simple spectators like myself watching it on TV. So just to hear your account of what it was like to actually be in the stadium when, you know, when Usain Bolt ran, um, that's great. Yeah. And then Michael Phelps, the same thing. I mean, People, he destroyed the field in the 200 IM. Yeah. You know, Lochte was in that race. It was supposed to be the big showdown. There was just no showdown. He, you know, he just, he destroyed the field. He was so humble, accepting his medal. People were thrilled. He, we didn't really understand what was happening. Again, that was another <laughs> part of the spectator experience was that there was at no point was there like a program or like a screen with a list of what might be coming up. I know that sounds crazy, but sometimes when you're there, you have no idea what's happening. And we were supposed to have, we had apps, but it was very spotty Wi-Fi. We couldn't really get, we had, Liz and I had both bought these special plans from AT&T that were completely bogus. And so the first thing, Thank you, AT&T. Okay. We just were like, where is Michael Phelps going? Why did he cut short the victory lap? And it was because he literally was in the pool two minutes later. But that was great. And then we were there um, when uh, Simone, the first African-American woman, won her medal. And we happened to be sitting with the the U.S. swim team parents. Our tickets just – we didn't know that. They were just scattered in amongst there. And they went crazy when she won there was tremendous support for her and we saw three gold medals that night by americans it was fantastic much like ryan lochte i have an apology i would like to make and um i feel like this is the right place for it um matt might not understand uh what you know how deeply i feel uh regret about this but in our show, right after the, the track and field trials and before the Olympics actually started, I was mocking the field events, Julie. I, I went out of my way to mock the field part of track and field. <laughs> Liz. And I got to say, just by the nature of where our seats were in the Estadio Olimpico, which was right in front of the long jump pit and right next to where the pole vault was, I am transformed on the power of the field events. And so I, you know, I have apologies I would like to make to uh, Michelle Carter, shot put, gold medal in the okay. shot put. She was girl- awesome, wasn't she, Leah? That was so exciting. That was so exciting. That was the first night of track and field we went to. That was the only medal round. And so we're, everything else was heats and preliminaries and stuff. And so we're, we're there, we're like riding to the event. And my, my son Colin goes, women shot put. Yes. Like, okay, let's get psyched team. Cause the only medal we're going to see is women's shot foot. And then she pulled it out. She dug deep on her final throw. She let it go and she won the gold medal. It was fantastic. And it was like midnight by then. Yes. It was really late and there was not a huge crowd there that night, but that was a great moment. Yeah. yeah and great. then the women's long jump, Julie. The, oh, wow. The, the yeah. U.S. won gold and silver in the women's long jump. Tiana Bartoletto and Brittany Reese. And so we saw the preliminaries. and So we saw that all the way through. And I got to say, Leanne and I were having a little trouble with the metric system, figuring out <laughs> how far they were actually jumping. But, like, when you're there and you see 
how hard what they're doing is. It doesn't translate well to TV, which is a whole separate issue, but like just for the sheer athleticism of the long jump. Okay. I'm sold on that. And then the triple jump, which I had, I had always derided that as the hop, skip and jump. I didn't know why hop, skip and jump is an Olympic uh, event. Leah noted this in her random thoughts at SatelliteSisters.com yesterday. There, we saw the women's triple jump, and there was a triple jumper there from Colombia. Her name was Katerina, and the last name I cannot pronounce. But when they announced her, Julie, like, who believes that, like, triple jumpers have huge fan bases? Oh, my God. When they an- announced this female Colombian triple jumper, the whole stadium went crazy, didn't it, Leah? It did. I mean, so many people with <laughs> Colombian flags, they had gotten seats right in front of the triple jump. And that was the night Usain Bolt was running. But she brought her own people. She That's was good. having her own moment down there. She didn't care if the men's 100 meter was starting. She was, she just had it all going on. It's fantastic. Yes. yes. So these are hardcore fans of super niche sports. But you know what? The athletic performances are totally worth it. So, and then the pole vault, the uh, the Brazilian man won the gold in the pole vault. So people just went crazy for that. So, and he was it. adorable. It, he totally was adorable. adorable. His first name yeah. is Tiago. Uh, yeah, I think his last name is De Silva. But anyway, he was he was adorable, and they just went crazy for that. So, this is it. My official apology to field <laughs> events. I will. Yeah. I will no longer make a mockery of the field events because I was, um, I was schooled. Yeah. I, I'm. Well, Liz, I, I'm proud of you, Liz. I'm proud. Okay. Of you. That's good, Liz. I can see. Oh, you I have a couple. Of, I have a couple of gold medals to award here uh, to the, our whole experience and to Rio and to other things. Okay. First of all, gold medal to the Rio airport. I mean, that airport is beautiful. I'm sure it's completely redone. We, the longest line we waited in was the sandwich line. Once we got through, <laughs> got through security. I mean, when we arrived, they had a hundred agents. They boom, boom, boom. We're just, we're through immigration. We're uh, on the way back in. It was like incredibly fast. It was efficient. It was a beautiful airport. So much duty-free shopping. Oh my gosh. I mean, you could have just been there for hours and hours and hours buying flip-flops and, um, and, and alcohol and so, and, and perfume, but it was a fantastic airport gold medal. One note on the airport I want to make, Julie, I registered with the U.S. consulate to get text messages if there's, like, any emergency things that they need you to know. You know how that works sometimes. Or Liz, okay. I like it. in a foreign country. So uh, yesterday, Saturday, I got a text from the U.S. consulate saying, if you are leaving Rio from Galeo, so that's the international airport, you're leaving Rio Airport Monday, please arrive six hours before an international flight. (laughs) Which, of course, yeah. is no problem for a Dolan because we did arrive yeah. four hours before our flight anyway. <laughs> but they're asking people to arrive six hours. So they better start making the sandwiches now uh, yeah. because that's a lot of people standing around in the airport. for. They're going to be breaking into the uh, chocolate and the alcohol in the uh, duty-free stores. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, there was some good chocolate there, too. I, I bought some chocolate that I kept secretly and ate myself. Uh, all right. Gold medal, uh, you know, we mentioned it several times, gold medal to beer and sandwiches. Um, I know, like I mentioned it before, that that's sort of a Brazilian specialty. And, and someone whose family is Brazilian said, Leon, please eat more than beer and sandwiches. But we had some good beer and sandwiches, didn't we, Liz? We did. We did. <laughs> we did. In, in many places. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, they have great draft beer. It was the first word we learned in uh, in Portuguese, <laughs> and pretty much okay. the only word we learned was draft. <laughs> so, and we did eat other foods, and it was delicious. But they sustained us some good beer and some good sandwiches. We did okay, have well, trouble, Julie, figuring out like. When you ordered a sandwich, it could take 25 minutes. But if you ordered a steak, it took five minutes. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> but so, okay, they were all delicious. And I will admit, like, people would talk to us in Portuguese and we would respond in Spanish because it just, <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. But you feel yourself saying, gracias, it is not the same language. And you <laughs> That's just, just was, very culturally astute. That's good. It international. Idiotic. Just it international idiotic. language. Yeah. All right, a gold medal to the Olympic lane. You know, there were some infra- infrastructure things they didn't quite get to in Rio, like, you know, the water processing plants and stuff. Uh, but the Olympic lanes worked. They had these new lanes just for Olympic vehicles. We were in a vehicle that had an Olympic sticker. You know, the taxis were not. And boom, boom, boom. We got places relatively quickly. So in general, um, except to the Maracanã, the day we went <laughs> to the soccer stadium at one point we literally had to get out of the van in the middle of a freeway <laughs> and run for our lives down an exit ramp or else that we is flexibility that's flexibility and positivity yeah yeah well we could see okay. the stadium right there in front of us julie but it was so just clear fun. that the cars were not going to get there if you were on foot <laughs> you had a chance of getting there so we bailed oh, and we man. made it Okay. I gold medal to gel manicures. I had never gotten one before and I got like a gold a gold tipped French manicure before I left. It still looks good, ladies. <laughs> I never paid the extra money. Totally worth it. Um all right, gold I was to give a gold medal, Liz, you mentioned it before, but to the family and friends of Olympians. They really showed up and I think so many Americans were scared off that it was really nice to see all of them in the stands. You did get the feeling that so many people watching knew the athletes. Like yeah. from every country, it seemed particularly from America, but, you know, we were sitting in front of Jamaicans that were clearly related, like Irish that were clearly related. It was really nice to see so many family and friends of Olympians uh, in the stands. And then a gold medal to Bonnie Hart, who, uh, satellite sister Bonnie Hart, who spotted Colin and I on the NBC coverage. <laughs> I, I I was shocked, Liam, because I, I watched that. I was watching TV at that moment. I'm very, I was consciously looking at that father because I worked at Stanford and both, you know, her, her parents went to Stanford and I was just having a thought about Stanford, but I didn't see my own sister. So hats off to Bonnie, <laughs> you know, well, it really wasn't you. It was just your forehead. Yes. That, that Bonnie yeah. identified your forehead. Yes. And I have to say, not a gold medal for my hair. The Brazilian <laughs> weather was not kind to my hair. I did not have a good hair week. I was disappointed in that. Kept that hat on a lot. But, um, so. Always Tokyo, Liam. Always Tokyo. You- so here we are back in real time. It's summer of 2020. But at the end of this episode, uh, from 2016, and we answered a question from Betsy, who asked if she should plan a family vacation to the Tokyo Olympic sisters. Ooh. But so we were very pro that, but we also recommended that she wait and see if Los Angeles won their bid for the 2024 Olympics and maybe plan that trip instead because it wouldn't be quite as costly as going to Japan. So <laughs> obviously, 
obviously a lot has changed since four years ago. So Betsy, the good news is that there's still time to book for Tokyo, right, sisters? I mean, you could try to go if you wanted to. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, it's a gamble, but yeah, I would I would make yeah. sure you I get did, refundable did. tickets. No yeah. doubt. Yeah. 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 I mean, the bad news, Betsy, is I think that it's possible fans won't be allowed in the venues. So think about that. But I think the best news to fully update everyone is that, okay, LA did not land the 2024 bid. That will be Paris. You can go there if you want. But the United States did land 2028 in Los Angeles. So you have loads of time to get ready for the Los Angeles Olympics. I think we're all getting ready, right, sisters? I'm excited. (laughs) <laughs> but you think about this, or just listening back to this episode, it, you there you you create a lot of Olympic fever, and so yeah. it makes me want to go see another Olympic Games. Listening to this, yeah. so, so just book it all, book it all right now. That's what I say. <laughs> twenty twenty eight, we're it's all going to be good by twenty twenty eight. And there's a link in our show notes to this whole episode from Rio. It was because it was recorded August twenty first, twenty sixteen. So if you want to listen to the whole thing, just go there. All right, up next, my interview with writer Elise Hooper about her historical fiction, Fast Girls. But first, we'd like to thank our sponsor, FabFitFun. Thank you, FabFitFun, for sponsoring this episode of Satellite Sisters. We love our FabFitFun boxes. It has been a highlight of the year. When those special FabFitFun boxes arrive at your front door, it is exciting. And then you pull out. It is a big surprise because you get full-size products, Leanne. That's what I like about it. You know, you get 6.75 fluid ounces of things, you know, not little sample sizes, right? Of just of things. We like all the things. But Julie, it's beauty products. It's home decor. It's little bits of jewelry or scarves. We, I got that great, you know, straw bag from uh, FabFitFun that I've been using all summer. It was exciting. And there's nothing like having these seasonal must-haves at your front door. You don't have to leave your house. And as Julie mentioned, full size. And why are we talking about this? Because now is the time to get on board for the fall box. If you want this amount of excitement at your front door, (laughs) now (laughs) is the time to get on board with FabFitFun. And why? Because you can actually customize these boxes. Okay? There's plenty of choices you have so you can know exactly what to expect in your box from a wide variety of products if you sign up for the pre-sale today. So that's great. You can also just say, surprise me. If that's what you need in your life right now, great. Just say, surprise (laughs) me. But did you know, this is a lot of math, but stay with me. Apparently, the fall box can be customized in 189,000 different ways. (laughs) Wow. That's mind-blowing, Leanne. Mind-blowing. I like that. Yeah, that's that's going to use up a lot of my downtime. I like it. <laughs> I mean, Julie, you went to business school. What kind of math is that? I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All I know is that I've already had fun customizing my fall box. Oh yeah, look at me. I'm getting a special scarf from Beyond Yoga. You be sad that you're not getting it if you don't customize. Uh, So here's what you need to do to get in on the fall box for the fall season. By pre-ordering, you'll be able to be first in line to choose top-rated brands to customize your box. These boxes always sell out quickly, so be sure to sign up quickly. You want to use coupon code SISTERS for $10 off your first box at fabfun.com. 
That's coupon code SISTERS for $10 off your box at FabFitFun.com. Your first box. $10 off your first box at FabFitFun.com. Thanks, FabFitFun. We are looking forward to fall. Hi, Leanne Dolan here with Satellite Sisters. I'm very excited to have, oh, you have your book too. I'm very excited to have with me Elise Hooper, the author of the new historical fiction, uh, Fast Girls. Oh my gosh, Elise, I love this book. I mean, it's so great. Thank you. I'm so so happy. So happy to talk to you. We met at a book event. Remember those? Remember book events? In February. I know that was sort of the last thing like that. It was like ever for anyone. And so we met at a book event and I picked up an advanced copy of Fast Girls because once I heard it was about three track athletes who competed in the Berlin Olympics, I'm like, I'm in because I'm an Olympic (laughs) nut. We, We know we love the Olympics on Satellite Sisters. And when I read it, I was just so struck by like how rich and detailed and how emotional it was to like hear the stories of these women over, it's like a 10 year period, you essentially tell their story and they go through some stuff. So tell, so <laughs> we're going to talk about these athletes and then we're going to talk about just in general historical fiction. I don't know how you do it, how you put it all together and pull it all together. And then some Olympic chat, we're going to have some yeah. Olympic talks. So, um, so, so tell for people who haven't read Fast Girls yet, tell people what it's about. So Fast Girls is about three trailblazing women Olympians who compete in the Olympics. The novel starts in 1928 in Amsterdam. It goes through 32 in Los Angeles, and then it goes to 36 in Berlin. And, you know, Berlin, of course, is the big headliner that everyone's fascinated by. But this whole period of these years really kind of represents a distinct period in, like, track and field history, really. Because 1928, if you can believe it or not, is the first year women are allowed to compete in track and field. Um, Up until that point, they were allowed to compete in a handful of events deemed like aesthetically pleasing. And that was like golf and tennis and kind of what they, you know, largely were upper class sports. And and then they allowed like what they thought was sort of the riffraff in with track and field. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it starts and it's, so so the three women are real women. How did you find them? How did did you stumble upon their story? Well, so this, my daughter loves this because my daughter was in fourth grade at the time and she's a swimmer and she was doing a biography project for her library class and chose Gertrude Ederly. Now, do you, I, you may have read the end of the book, but do you know, did, before that, did you know who Gertrude Ederly was? I did. I did know oh, that wow. she was a swimmer who ran, the, swam the English Channel. We are, yeah. we are swimmers. Our family, you we are. are a family of swimmers. So, I love uh, okay, you're a legit history. super fan. Yeah. Yeah, swimming history is important to us. Yeah, Yeah. so Ederly, just like you said, she actually won three medals in the 1924 Olympics in Paris. She wins, uh, then she, you know, for most of us, that would be enough, three medals, right? right? Woohoo! But she decides, no, I'm now going to swim the English Channel. And, and she does so becoming the first woman to do it. it. Takes her 14 and a half hours. And recently, I should add, I've been swimming laps. And I'm like, oh my God, I can barely go for 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah, and there's no current in the pool. <laughs> You're not doing this. Right, right. I'm not covered in lard, all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Ederly really, because she came home, was fed like Amelia Earhart, like a ticker tape parade in New York. She was a really big deal. And yet I, this was, 
probably like 2018, 17. I had never heard of her. So it prompted me to think about pioneering women athletes. My first two novels are about women artists. I have been an athlete my whole life. I mean, I've run the Boston Marathon. I've done all kinds of things. And I was like, I need to, this is a whole new area. I'm writing about artists, but what about sports? And, and I just, I can't even tell you the exact rabbit hole I fell down to first find Betty Robinson, but she was the first athlete of this sort of trio that I discovered. And Leanne, should I give a quick little rundown on like her story? Yeah, yeah, just, okay. a, just a, yeah, yeah, Okay. sure, yeah. So, so Betty is amazing. Like I can't believe I had never heard of her. She, um, in 1928, is a 16 year old schoolgirl living outside of Chicago, she's, She's running for the train one day. A teacher spots her and thinks to himself, like, gee whiz, she sure looks fast. <laughs> and he sets her up with a time trial, as one does. And, um, you know, a, a handful of races later, the trajectory was swift back in this era. She is in Amsterdam about to compete in the 100-meter uh, in, in the Olympics, the first ever year women are allowed to go. And I mean, you just think about sending your 16-year-old kid across the Atlantic to the, the Olympics. I mean, it's just such a mind-boggling story. It was such a dramatic opening because you open <laughs> with her going and they get on a boat. Like, of course yeah. they do. <laughs> but I hadn't really thought about it that way. Like sailing out of New York Harbor with an outfit on and everything. I know. Yeah, and she then was, like 10 yeah. days at sea, right? right. I mean, we're all they're all just like sitting around eating ice cream, drinking. The older ones are certainly drinking and smoking all of it. Right. Um, training looked a little different back then than it does today. But but Betty is a real kind of underdog. I mean, she was young. She barely had any experience. No one really pinned a lot of hope on her. But she has this huge upset and goes on. I'm not really giving anything away. This is right in the first few pages of the book. She wins a gold medal in Amsterdam and comes home and kind of like Ederly is feted as sort of America's sweetheart. She's a really big deal. She sets her sights on 1932. And this is where the story just becomes sort of, I couldn't have made this up. No, she, no, <laughs> you could not have. I mean, the, the whole time I was thinking it, uh, reading it, I was thinking, oh my gosh, more people should do stories, historical stories about sports because there's such a natural drama and there there's such an ebb and flow and the narrative, like you win, you lose, you're cut from the team, your coach sucks, like all that stuff that like makes us tune in every week. Like it's all in your book. These women you pick, they all had extraordinary like ups and downs for real. Yes, yeah, they yeah. did. Yeah. They did. And so Betty, like, this is another one, as one does, in Chicago one day, it's a really hot day. She goes up in a little biplane that her cousin owns. They end up crashing and she is left for dead. I mean, truly, her body's thrown in the back of a truck. She's dropped off at the morgue. Fortunately, the undertaker sees her chest moving and ends up um, reviving her. Doctors are brought on the scene. She has two broken legs, a broken arm, multiple injuries. They tell her, you know, forget your running dreams. You'll be lucky to ever walk again. But Betty was not a woman to be told no. And she just has what I think is like one of the most amazing comeback stories in American sports history. And yet, who yes. knows of her? I know. So I hope you've contacted NBC Sports. If there's ever an Olympics again, it's time. It's I'm, I mean, I hope you sent a, a book over there to the NBC production yes. team because it's time. We have actually. We oh, good. Have. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean um, Fingers crossed, Tokyo I, 2021. No, I know. Uh, you know what's crazy, Leon, is I actually went to Tokyo right after I saw you. I was like in Tokyo on February 29th, which in retrospect is so nuts to me. Right. 
Right. I, right. I was, That's, I remembered you were going somewhere. I couldn't remember where. Yeah. To research yeah. The next I one. mean, even back then, like to talk to that Elise Hooper on February 29th, standing in Tokyo, honestly, in pretty empty streets, looking at their Olympic clock countdown. It's just, oh, I feel so badly. I know. Sad. I know. Sad. You know, we were all so hopeful these games would happen. And so, Betty just, I mean, her story like defies time and era. I mean, it's just incredible. And so she will fortunately like come back. She'll have this great comeback story. And then she's only one third of the story. There are right. two other athletes. Right. I mean, I think so, what struck me was that the other two women are Helen Stevens and Louise Stokes. And we'll let people read the book for their real full stories. But uh, as you follow all of them along, it's like, all the same stuff, Elise. The sexism, the racism, yeah. homophobia, transphobia, unequal pay, unequal conditions in training, double standards in the press, cat calls from the stands, dismissiveness of their athletic abilities. Ah, it's so relevant and contemporary. How did it strike you when you were doing the research? Like, boy, this could be yesterday. I know. Well, that's exactly what struck me. And, and the reason, so I write all these newspaper articles in the book, partly to simulate, to give readers really a sense of how society was talking about these women. Because there was this whole thing of like, people didn't want to see what they considered, what they truly called tired, wretched looking women. I mean, <laughs> you know, and, and so it's funny, while I've been doing all this press in the last week about this book, you know, people keep saying like, oh, wow, we've come a long way. But then they pause and they're like, actually, wait, have we? And I think that's the really interesting thing about this, right? When the Olympics were in Rio, I remember a great deal of discussion about how the press was talking about women athletes and how markedly different it was from how they were talking about men, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 there, and I mean, I think it's more overt back, of course, in the 1920s right. and 30s, like journalists would refer to the buxom gal in lane three. I'd like to think, at least on in most publications today, that would not fly. But still, I mean, you, we can see, yes, okay, we've come a long way, but boy, we, there's still a lot of progress to be made. Right, right. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of nefarious relationships with coaches and uh, right. the men in their lives in your book, and that is literally ripped from the headlines, unfortunately, today. That's still right. sort of completely improper relationship still takes place. Yeah, I just, I just found the stories to be surprisingly contemporary, and it, I think that's why it really sucks you in. Um, right. But it is historical fiction, and the list of your resources in the back was exhausting. Um, do you have a PhD now in Olympic history because <laughs> you read everything, you watched everything? I mean, I don't understand as someone who just writes fiction fiction, like when do you stop researching and start writing? Like, do you have a clock on that? Because I feel like you, you the historical fiction writers, Obviously, you love the research. That's why you've gone to that genre. It must be hard for you to stop the research and start writing. Well, it is. And, and to be honest, I mean, doing a lot of the articles and stuff I've been writing about this book in recent months, I've been doing a lot more research really to help readers understand kind of where the story falls into the greater picture, of course, of women's sports history. Um, I do love doing research. I find it fascinating. And, and, you know, it is so easy to spend like a day and a half on a detail that 
in some cases you end up throwing out, which is heartbreaking. But I have now gotten pretty good at like, sometimes if I'm not so sure that the research I'm doing is worthwhile, I will set a timer. I'll give myself like 30 minutes. If this doesn't turn something up, I got to move on. And I wondered about that. Yeah, yeah, I wondered about you, that. I have learned to sort of manage my time like that because it's just essential. But I mean, I, I think that's another danger sometimes in historical fiction is like, you learn so many interesting things. You want to fit it all in. Sometimes I've had, I've sort of described it as like an iceberg. You know, you only need to see the tip of the iceberg, but you know, there's a lot of course underneath that sort of surface that goes into it. And, and so you just have to make sure sometimes you're not info dumping on your readers. And I really try to avoid that. Although sometimes, my gosh, the details are just too rich to. Right. To, right. And so, yeah, yeah, no, I thought you did. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of info dumping, but there was a lot of striking, just striking detail. You really yeah. felt like you were there in the track stadium at the Olympics. There was tension and everything, but then all the behind the scenes stuff, incredible. The story of uh, Louise, like her trip, she's an African-American runner. Her trip to the LA Olympics, it, it was heartbreaking. Oh I my know. gosh, heartbreaking, just sort of blatant racism from start to finish. Uh, yes. Were you in touch with her family? Like, how do you get permission to tell that story? Are they considered right. public figures or how does that work? It does. I mean, these figures, look at, I mean, Curtis Sittenfeld even just wrote about Hillary in her latest novel, okay. Rada. So, I mean, actually, if it's a novel, technically anyone is fair game. Um, I mean, I think we all then sort of have our codes of how we go about these things. And I actually did try to track down Louisa's son. I sent a few different emails to, like, there's a great documentary done on these um, Black athletes who travel to Berlin in 36. And I emailed oh. a few of the people behind that in which they interview him. And I, I never was able to get a hold of him. I was in touch with Betty Robinson's family and Helen's official biographer. So I was able to get in touch with some of the other families. But, you know, Louise Stokes, um, she is on the one hand, like sort of the figure in this character I knew the least about. I mean, I truly call her like the erased Olympian because, well, when you read the book, like you'll have the full understanding of how much she has been erased. But but really, there were a lot of detail. Like, I knew just kind of this basic biographical sketch. And then I had to kind of fill in some blanks. Like, Uncle Freddie, for example, this uncle she has, is, is totally a figure of my imagination. And I describe all that kind of stuff in my afterward, um, how I was able to kind of build her life through doing what I hope was responsible research, using authenticity readers, everything to try to make that as realistic, authentic as possible. Um, but also some of those things like her, her interactions with Babe Diedrichsen and stuff, that's all pretty well documented. So okay. we're going to talk about that. Cause uh, I mean, there's a lot of trash talk about Babe Diedrichsen in the book. Was she is. really that awful? Like none of the other athletes liked her. None. Right. It sounds like. Right. So Babe what? is a really interesting story. And me laugh. Uh, she does get she does probably get what I would consider sort of rough treatment in this novel. <laughs> also say though, that it's all based on like what people reported happened. And, and at the same time, I kind of get it. I mean, I think she was a woman who was fighting a, up against a lot of obstacles of her own. She grew up kind of in rural Texas. I mean, clearly her environment really shaped her. She really had to fight her way to the top. She chose then she was so scrappy. She, I would say even kind of chose to, fight against her teammates a bit. Like she was the biggest promoter of Babe Diedrichsen of all yeah. time. 
to Carl and, Lewis, like Carl Lewis, you know, I mean, right. The track yeah, athletes have giant egos. Yeah. Yeah, it served her well. And I also think it was a real defense mechanism. I think she was up against a lot. When you understand her life story, you can see why she would have been full of all this bravado and trying to cover up probably what was a pretty sensitive inside. So I actually am really empathetic to her in some ways, but I'm certainly not apologizing for the things she does in this book because- Don't apologize, no. Well, I think it just struck me because like prior to Billie Jean King, she was the only female athlete we ever learned about. Like, I guess there was Gertrude Everly. I'm older than you. So we had probably the two biographies, Babe Dietrichson and Gertrude Everly in the school library. And then there was the, like nothing. There was no other women athletes. It was just Babe Dietrichson. So it was fun. It was just, it made me smile. I'm like, oh yeah, right. They still had personalities on the inside. Yes, they were, they were real people. I mean, yes, mine is a novel, but I do base it on the accounts of these real people and their real foibles, the whole thing. Now I will say when we talk about kind of this dearth of like women athletes that we know about, I really believe Helen Stevens would have been one of them if the next two Olympics after 36 hadn't been canceled because of the World War. Her Olympic record in the 100 goes on to hold for 20 more years. Wow. I noticed that was a fast time. I was like, wow, that's a pretty good time. Yeah. Yeah. No, she was unstoppable. She had a nine foot long stride. I mean, think about that. Like I've gone outside and tried to sort of like leap nine feet. Um, Yeah. I'm pretty tall. I can't pull it off. So she was like a force onto herself. So I really do believe Helen, Helen's story should be more widely known. She was so accomplished. And I I think just kind of um, world events, unfortunately, kind of derailed her very promising career. Yeah, let's get to that 36 Olympics, because it is just a fascinating and like, when you read about it in the book, it kind of makes you I don't want to say makes you feel dirty, but you just have to think, what were yeah. we doing there? And I know I've seen well, documentaries where like Avery Brundage like forced America to go and he was just not a good man. And uh, you know who also I enjoyed a little trash talk about uh, or real talk about was Pierre de Coubertin, the founder of the oh, modern yeah. Olympic movement. You pre- He's totally a jerk, isn't he? He was not a supporter of female athletes. I, totally. I feel like we have to tear down some of his statues, Elise. So let's... Oh, yeah. I mean... Uh, I'll be first. I'll be first in line. He oh, yeah. just felt like women, the only role for women in the Olympics was to crown the male victors. That was totally his belief. He, he yeah. told women in the Olympics, like irresponsible, incorrect. He had all these choice adjectives for how he felt about women athletes. And yeah, he's no friend of women. Okay. All right. So good thing to remember when they do those squishy pieces about him or like show, you know, yeah. on the Olympic. Don't let that squishy mustache draw you into like yeah. a grand sense of like affection for that man no <laughs> so so back to 36 um uh, if you if you're not familiar it was hosted basically by hitler he hosted it yep. uh somehow the american athletes were there it was jesse owens big moment that's the one we all hear about there's very famous mm-hmm. documentary by uh the hitler propagandist lenny reifenstahl i'm sure you've seen i've seen yep. it it's yep. i watched it yeah you know what was it like to write those scenes to to find the right sort of level of like disgust and tension because that section of the book is so tense. You are tense for the athletes there because you know they're being used as props and yet they still have to do their job and run their races. Yeah. You know, honestly, I had so much to learn about this Olympics because I really hadn't realized how active the boycott movement in this country was against those Olympics. I really never knew that. I mean, I had read Boys on the Boat, Unbroken. I knew we were there. I didn't realize how close we came almost to not going. 
And I just think that right from the beginning sets up such an interesting tension. I should point out that that boycott movement only lost its vote by a couple of votes. So it was really close that the U.S. almost didn't go. All U.S. diplomats in Berlin were, t were telling the U.S. government not to send a team. But for a variety of reasons, um, you know, the politics kind of overcame common sense and we did send these, these athletes. Um, you know, the, the history really kind of sets it right up for me. I mean, a lot of these women had accounts of some really awful experiences with, like, in close quarters with Nazi officials. Yeah. I mean, I changed some of the timing on those things, but all of that happens. Like, the craziest aspects to this book are the truest. Right. Right. Like, the meeting with Hitler. Yes. Ew. I mean... Ah, yes. I just and that got, really happened, and she yeah. had to do it. She couldn't really say no, right? right. These, oh, it's right. just, yeah. I mean, you. I think you really capture that sort of what are we doing here moment, and uh, that singular place in history that that Olympics Olympics has. Uh, yeah. So, um, go ahead. I was just saying thank you because, okay. um, yeah. I mean, that is the part of the story, of course, that people really want to read about. I, I think there's so much that leads up to it, and kind of once you know all these athletes those 36 games are even that much more sort of distressing really because all of these athletes, the women, the black athletes who went, they all felt so much pressure to perform, to represent their country. It was like the one thing they could do. We knew what was happening in Germany wasn't good. And yet all, so many of these athletes hoped so much that if they could beat the Germans, that that would sort of serve up a defeat for Hitler. Yeah. Yeah, right. That the, the relay at the end takes on just incredible. I mean, the relays are exciting anyway at any uh, at any track event and they they do. You really feel like there's a national representation there. But yeah, that was something. I have one yeah. question about that section. Um, I noticed one of the athletes and I didn't see a last name that Louise pals around with is another black athlete named Mac. Was that Mac Robinson? Yes, that's Jack. Jack okay. Robinson's older brother. Okay, yeah, because yeah, I live in Pasadena and they grew up here. So yeah. Mac Robinson went to the high school right up the street. And again, a lot of people, obviously, everyone knows Jackie Robinson, but they were fantastic athletes long before Jackie went to right. into baseball. That was like his last choice. Uh, but right. Mac won a silver medal at the Olympics. And then he said he came back to Pasadena and it was like Jim, the Jim Crow South. Like he had no good reception, like nothing. He worked as a janitor at the high school and then eventually yeah. was a security guard. But he was my husband's track coach, Mac Robinson. Amazing. That's but he amazing. Was, he was only finally recognized when the Olympics came back to LA in 84. That's when yeah. he like finally got the recognition he deserved for his performance. I, I absolutely believe that because another sort of thing I learned during this book, which just amazed me was, I mean, we all know of Jesse Owens and his right. amazing four gold medals. It's, it's the story of those Berlin games, right? Other than, of course, now Boys in the Boat has become a big story too. But um, there were 17 other Black athletes who go to Berlin to compete in these games. And um, many of them, so of the medals that are won in those Olympics by American athletes, these, this tiny group of athletes won 25% of them, like 350. Wow. American athletes, 359 technically, I think, go to Berlin. There are 18 black athletes. And yet look at how they did so well. Many of them will return back to the United States and not even be allowed to compete for their local colleges, you know, for various reasons because of Jim Crow laws and stuff. I mean, they'll have Olympic medals to their names, not be allowed to compete in collegiate events. It's just 
mind-boggling. And I really feel like that's an underreported story from these Olympics is how successful that group was. Mind you, they felt so much pressure to be successful because they were trying to show Hitler that his ideas about white supremacy were incorrect. So I think that's a really fascinating tension also to the story um, that just the American newspapers were willing to concede that they had to report on Jesse. His story was too big not to be reported, but these other athletes, they decided, nah, we don't really need to get into all these other black athletes. That's just sort of too much for the American public. I mean, yeah, again, it's a shame. Right, was just rampant, was, is still rampant. Is that the next book? Who's, what's, is there another athletic book on the, on the horizon then? Because it's such a fertile area. I know, I think definitely. The book I'm working on right now is actually about some U.S. Army nurses from World War II who get swept up in the uh, invasion of the Philippines by, and held as prisoners of war during the duration of the war. It's, it, that too is an amazing story I knew very little about. But, but I, I mean, my love of sports, I don't think I'm saying goodbye to it. We'll be back for something more. <laughs> All right, so um, what is your favorite Olympic event? Like the uh, winter or summer, like what are the events you're glued to the TV? Right. Like you always well, watch. I will watch all of them. I mean, and we watched the Canada broadcasting up here in Seattle. So we can like, air coverage is so good. They don't quite spend as much time on like all the human interest stuff. And I should also say advertising. They, They like spend 24 hours a day just covering sports. I grew up figure skating. So, uh, like many, I have a real soft spot for the, um, for the uh, figure skaters. I love it all. I love the track and field. We love swimming here. Um, I love, I love a lot of the skiing events and snow events and some of the new stuff that's been added, like all the snowboarding is so entertaining to watch. I mean, I love gymnastics. I I could literally sit here all day and talk Olympics with you because I am, I am legit a super fan. I just love it. I, I can't get enough. (laughs) I know. Have you been to one? I haven't. When one of my girls was a baby, that's when Vancouver happened. And I remember like looking at her and thinking like, if I stick in her car seat, we could technically go up for the day and catch right. something. And then I'm like, she's a, she's a few months old. This maybe isn't a great idea. <laughs> that was a good games though. I, you should have risked it. That was the last really like picturesque Olympic games I in know, the winter. Don't tell me that. In I the still winter. hear regrets. I know. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, it's, you know, it's a special thing. I've, I've been to a bunch. We went to Rio just to see Usain Bolt and, um, and Michael Phelps. We thought those are two athletes we'll never see again. Um, and everyone thought we were <laughs> nuts for going at the time. And we, we did feel like we were the only people there that were not related to an athlete or part of a delegation. Like we, there weren't that many actual fans in Rio, but it was right. great. I mean, there's something, oh, yeah. I, it's, it's hard to describe. You do ironically yeah. miss the TV coverage. You freakishly, <laughs> when you're there. Well, it does consolidate everything, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, and you sense. end up like watching in Rio, we were watching a lot of German TV coverage. I don't know. We get back to our hotel rooms and all the, you know, the volleyball would be on German TV. So it's exciting, but um right. Okay, well, I believe the Olympics will happen again. Well, you know, you can come to LA 2028. You know, it's in your time zone. So you got to do that. Um, I should mention, uh, Elise, this is uh, Fast Girls. Is It's not her only book. She also wrote uh, The Other Alcott Sister, which was a bestseller. And then what uh, I'm looking. Oh, you have it all there. The Other Alcott. You got, you're ready. You're ready for that. You can tell I'm in the book promotion mode. (laughs) 
and learning to see about Dorothea Lang, the pi yeah. pioneering yeah. documentary photographer. I know. So, Dorothea is best known for that photo. People yeah. often know Dorothea's name, but she everyone knows that photo, the most yeah. iconic photo. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, so what are you going to do anything special to fill in for the no Olympics this year? Are you going to stage a home Olympics for your daughter? Oh, What's yeah. happening? Okay. Yeah, definitely. I mean, first of all, like every day is the Olympics here. I've been playing a ton of tennis. We are, my daughter's doing open water swimming. I'm going to go lap swimming later today. We're running, we're doing it all. Oh, we picked up pickleball and we're playing a ton of, granted that's not an Olympic event, but. It will be. It's Maybe the sport of the future. Up the rank. That's like, I'm still dreaming, of course, of going as an athlete. I haven't given that up. <laughs> That's a satellite sister thing, pickleball. Uh, whenever we ask, like, what sports are you playing? It's, it's just overwhelmingly pickleball. So, oh, yeah, uh, a lot of pickleball. In fact, I, know... I gave my black eye a few weeks ago. Um, it's healed now, but I hit myself in the face with my racket. So fortunately, I write about athletes more gifted than myself. <laughs> we also have badminton set up in the backyard. So lots of sports happening. All right, you're totally covered. Well, Ali <laughs> Super, thank you so much. Fast Girls yeah. is one of our Satellite Sisters Best Beach Bag books. It's a completely 100% satisfying book that will take you to another place. You'll learn something, but you also become really absorbed in these women's stories. And the stories remain contemporary and relevant today. Thank you for joining us on whatever this is. We didn't even really know what to call these interviews on Facebook Live and then maybe on the podcast. We don't know, Elise. We're just making this up like everybody That's as we go along. the story of life right now. Thank you, 2020. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Satellite Sisters, for tuning in today. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, FabFitFun. Thank you, FabFitFun, for being a part of the Satellite Sisters podcast. And thanks, Satellite Sisters, for supporting the people that support us. Thanks to Sergio Enriquez, our engineer. We miss you, Sergio. We miss seeing you every week. We hope you're having a great, um, I don't know, a great life. What do you say to people now? What is, <laughs> what is... day? Let's take yeah. it one day at a time, Leanne. Sergio, we hope you're having a great day. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So next week on our series of special August shows, we're back with food and fun. And Liz, one of the uh, segments that you picked has me getting a root canal. So fun. So I know. Fun. So fun. That just has fun written all over it, doesn't it? But this is like you at your side splitting best. You're just like <laughs> drugged up in search of frozen yogurt and blue jeans at TJ Maxx. I Say no more. Say no more. All right. And then, Julie, I found a couple gem segments from 2014. We were apparently obsessed with Whole Foods. It was new and shiny and bright. And there's a segment of you and I, I'm telling you about like how it's just exhausting to shop at Whole Foods. But we're marveling over things like coconut. You know, mm. <laughs> we have, I know we went, we went very deep on shallow topics in that year, Leon. So, uh, I'm looking forward to rehearing that. Yeah. What's with all the coconut? We asked little did we know six, seven years later, it's still taking over our lives. It is funny to listen to some of these episodes as like time capsules, right? Things that we just don't under understand. Julian, another episode, uh, another segment, I think on that show, we're going on and on about what is a hack. You're like, what is a parenting <laughs> hack? What is that word? And I actually say, I don't know. I've never heard hack before. I mean, so we just, it's incredible. The um, trends we've missed, the things that we thought, YouTube, do you remember that, Leanne? We dissed that. We thought that was a total waste of time. Who would watch home videos? <laughs> 
So these whole food segments definitely have, uh, you know, a veneer of that. Like we just sound like we're in another century when we're talking about shopping at Whole Foods. So, uh, so that will be fun. That is next week on the show. All right. We want to remind you uh, the to-do list for the entire month of August is to sign up for our new newsletter, newsletter, Satellite Sisters pep talk. You can find the signups all over the place at our website, at our social media sites. There's a pop-up on the website. You can always go to our contact page at satellitesisters.com. On the right-hand side, you'll see a button, sign up for our newsletter. We've spread the link around in as many places as we possibly can spread it. We would love to have you sign up for pep talk. Uh, Issues will be going out in August. That's what I can tell you. There will be uh, issues of the new newsletter going out in August. All right, sisters, have a great week. You too, Leanne. And don't forget, call your satellite sisters.